2022, 30% fewer releases in theaters than 2019. And that corresponded with box office that was down about 30-35% from 2019. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, March 3rd. Today, Matt Bellany joins me to talk about the latest buzz in Hollywood around award season, including the best parties to go to, of course. But Matt also has some 2023 predictions about whether this is the year box office movies stage a big comeback, or if they'll just continue to get cannibalized by streaming. Matt and I also discuss the future of Hulu, is Disney CEO Bob Iger inclined to sell the streaming platform? And what would that even look like? We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Friday, everybody. It's the weekend, like the real weekend and not the weekend the singer who is... Um, posting some crazy stuff these days. I'm joined today by Matt Bellany, my fellow Angelino. How you doing, Matt? Doing well. Um, I want to ask you about a little debate I had on my tech side with my college buddies the other day. Um, my friend Mike is, unlike myself, a big Marvel Universe fan. And we were sort of like, you know, we're just throwing trivia around and having dumb college guy arguments. And Mike was like, Marvel saved movie theaters and, and the theatrical experience, especially during COVID. And I was like, based on my conversations with Matt Bellany, a lot of the movies that Marvel dropped, like in peak COVID, like in 2021, actually underperformed other than like Spider-Man. And it seems like, and maybe this is just like an Oscar buzz kind of thing, Top Gun actually saved the theatrical <laughs> experience. Well, according to, I Spiel mean, according to uh, yeah. Steven Spielberg, Top Gun saved theatrical. The, the answer is you're both right. Marvel has consistently proven that it can get mass amounts of people to show up in theaters on opening weekend. And there is no better franchise in Hollywood than Marvel. If you, hit, you put five movies in front of me, one is a Marvel movie, the rest are not. I'm picking the Marvel movie every single time. Having said that, there are some cracks that are beginning to show in the Marvel armor. This past weekend, we saw the Ant-Man sequel, Ant-Man 3, dropped uh -huh. 70% in its second weekend. That is extremely low and a record low for a Marvel movie. So the fans didn't love it. It got a B minus cinema score, which is considered very low. The critics did not like it. Lowest reviewed movie in the Marvel canon. And that's coming on the heels of a couple of other movies like Eternals, which did not perform that mm -hmm. well. And some stuff during the pandemic that was hampered a little by some of the day and date and you know streaming release strategies that they did. But... Mm -hmm. Marvel is not quite the invincible juggernaut that it once was, but I would still bet on it any day of the week. Can you explain why that is? Because I think I, I looked up some link kind of making this argument, and one of the tendrils of that argument was there's just saturation. Like, I, again, I'm not a Marvel guy. I'm not also going to shit on Marvel, but it's like I didn't know there was an Ant-Man 2, let alone an Ant-Man 3. <laughs> like, is there yeah. just too much Marvel out there? Yeah, it's not necessarily the movies per se. It's that they've gone completely nuts on the streaming shows. You know, there's three oh. or four streaming shows per year now. And that all intertwines with the movies. So you're expected to keep up with characters that appeared first in Loki. And now it's appearing in Ant-Man 3. And then this is going to be the big villain, Kang, that appears in 
all of the phase five movies. And Uh that's increasingly difficult for fans to keep up on. So I don't know if that is contributing to the drop off. I think that it's probably playing a role. And there's arguments that Kevin Feige, who runs the Marvel Universe and has been credited with this unprecedented run of, you know, 13, 15 years of hit after hit, he may be finally spread too thin on this stuff. Mm-hmm. But they got to figure out how to do this. I mean, part of it is going to solve itself because Disney is pulling back on the amount of content spend that they're willing to outlay to get streaming subscribers. So I would not be surprised if the Marvel series go down to three a year from four or even two a year. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that could solve the problem. It could just be a sign also that finally, after all this time, Marvel is not as cool as it once was. You know, everybody thought in the heyday of the Westerns that Westerns would be cool forever. They weren't. Mm -hmm. Everybody Mm -hmm. thought American Idol would be cool forever when in 30 million people were showing up and watching every episode. Now mm-hmm. it's barely registering on. It's still on, but it's barely registering. Things come and go, and there will be a time for Marvel, but who knows if this is it. Wow. That's like, that's I don't know. I feel like there's just some hardcore Marvel defenders out there, and that's Oh, I'm not, sure. That's no, like, and, and don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm not saying that we're there. I actually think Marvel financially mm-hmm. is fine. Like they have Guardians of the Galaxy 3 coming out in May. That will be gigantic. Among mm-hmm. the biggest movies of the year, if not the biggest. They have Marvels mm-hmm. scheduled for November. They've got stuff planned out for five, six years now. So I think I think Marvel is still okay. But if they keep executing in a way that does not satisfy the fans the way that they have been satisfied over this run, mm-hmm. then the box office will follow. They can't keep they can't prop it up forever. So I mean, you talked about what's coming. You know, in 2023. Do we think that movies will be in any way back in theaters? I mean, obviously, Top Gun has grossed well over a billion dollars at this point. Top 1. Gun 5. Wow, that's wow. Avatar got and to like, two point two worldwide. Uh, exactly, and so, but you know, I feel like our conversations over the last couple of years have been sort of what we talked about, where a lot of again, this was peak COVID, but releases were cannibalized by streaming. Like what bets are studios making heading into this year? Are they going to go back to just releasing things in theaters for a while before these things even drop on streaming? The answer to that is no. I think the windows of theatrical have forever been collapsed and you're seeing studios go to streaming 45 days after the movies in theater, sometimes three weekends after it's in theaters, sometimes mm-hmm. day and date, the same day. Although that is increasingly becoming rare because the studios are recognizing that the theatrical exclusive window is beneficial and does squeeze a lot more revenue out of these movies than just putting them on the streaming service. Um, Warner Brothers, for instance, put its entire 2021 slate on HBO Max the day they were in theaters. They have hmm. completely backed away from that. And they're saying that these movies will get exclusive theatrical runs, all of them. They're not going to make movies just for streamers or make very few of them. Mm-hmm. So we have returned to the more traditional model. But 2022, 30% fewer releases in theaters than 2019. And that corresponded with box office that was down about 30 35% from 2019. Not a coincidence there. Fewer movies in theaters means less box office. And we're seeing the stratification increase. The amount of the total box office that is coming from just a few hits has Mm -hmm. gotten pretty alarming. You know, you're seeing these movies like Avatar and Spider-Man and Top Gun gross enormous amounts of money, but the middle 
and the middle area of movies has just completely fallen off. The you know hundred million dollar grocer, the you know movie that's made for thirty million and grosses one fifty, that is increasingly a rarity, and that's where that thirty percent of box office comes into play. And we're just not seeing that because those movies are either not getting made or they're going to streaming. On that note, have you seen Cocaine Bear? How's that doing in theaters? I have seen Cocaine Bear. I went to <laughs> the premiere fun? of Cocaine Bear. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, there was not a lot of cocaine that I saw at the Cocaine Bear premiere. I feel like if there's one place where there would be a lot of cocaine at a Cocaine Bear showing, it would be in Los Angeles at the Cocaine Bear premiere, but I guess not. You would think so, but I it may, you know what? I, I may just be so uncool that it was done out of my view, and uh, I was the square standing in the corner thinking everything was normal, but... <laughs> Uh, I saw it. It's fine. I, I don't know why, but I had higher expectations for Cocaine Bear than the movie delivered. I don't know why my uh-huh. expectations were so high, but uh, I thought it would be funnier. It's fine. I know it's award season out here. Is there like a reputationally like the most fun party to go to? Like what? Like are are there any award show after parties that are like I got to go to this or any like studio parties or like off the books parties that or are they just, are these just all like boring industry things for you at this point? I mean, th- those are two separate questions because, th- <laughs> yes, most mostly they are boring industry things. But in terms of where people want to be seen, I think the Saturday night of the Oscar weekend uh, party called The Night Before, which is a uh-huh. fundraiser for the motion picture and television home, that is still the industry favorite in terms of where you are supposed to be seen the night before the Oscars. It's less celebrity-driven than some of the other events. But for industry people, there's the expectation that you show up and you mingle and say hello. The agencies all have parties on Friday night and a lot of the talent will go to that and just regular agency clients will go to like the CAA party or whatever Hmm. on Friday night. And then on Sunday, you know, the night of the Oscars, the studios have their parties if they have a movie that is a best picture contender and they try to you know bring all their talent to that then there's vanity fair that they do their thing and that's that's become so corporatized that it's basically yeah. like yeah there are stars there but they're like standing next to and mingling with some you know middle manager sales executive from Maybelline or something like that <laughs> it's it's not exactly exclusive in that sense um, then the governor's ball is the official academy party spot they throw up a, an event at the Oscars and you go there right after and usually don't stay very long, but it is the first stop. It's also the first opportunity to have food after a oh. three and a half, four hour sit through this show. So people, you can usually find me at the sushi bar at the governor's ball right after the show. Oh, that sounds awesome. I haven't been invited by my agency UTA to any of these parties yet. So if you're listening, anyone over there, give me a shout. That's, I'd love that to that go to those parties. Outrageous. You need to fire I, your agent. I'm, no one's more Hollywood than me. Just kidding, I live in Venice. Matt, when we come back, I want to ask you about the future of Disney and Hulu. Welcome back, everyone. Matt, I have a, a burning question. I, we haven't talked about this yet. Disney owns the majority of Hulu. Comcast, NBCU holds a minority stake, right? About a third. About a third. Okay. I, you know, I still, people listening to this podcast will know, like, I don't know who owns what streamer at this point. Everything's confusing. You and Julia try to explain it to me, Julia Alexander. Now that Bob Iger is back in charge of Disney, what's your take on his roadmap for Hulu? Uh, what does he want to do with it? 
that is one of the great questions in Hollywood. And I have a theory, but I'll just for background, most people assumed that Disney is going to keep Hulu, try to build it. They have this out where they, in 2024, they can buy out Comcast stake in Hulu, mm. which mm-hmm. at this point, given the valuation, would probably be about $9 billion or more dollars to do that. Or hmm. they could potentially get out of the business, try to sell Hulu to some other buyer or to Comcast itself. And most people thought that Disney would keep it. But then Iger did this interview about a month ago where he said – They're looking at all options and everything is on the table when it comes to Hulu. And he expressed some doubts about Disney's future in this adult-oriented entertainment category. Not Hmm. family-oriented like cartoons, not branded IP like Star Wars or Marvel, but this area that he called very oversaturated, which is the kind of shows that you and I watch that are on Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and all these other Things He said it's a very – it's difficult to differentiate yourself. So a lot of people are speculating that maybe that was the sign that Iger wants to sell Hulu and get out of that business. I actually ultimately don't think that he will. I think what will happen is they'll probably keep Hulu and fold it into Disney Plus and it will become a tile on Disney Plus either for an upcharge or they will raise the price of Disney Plus in general if you don't want ads. And that will be Disney. They'll probably scale back on the amount of adult-oriented content that they do for Hulu. And, you know, but I do think they'll keep it because, you know, around the world, Hulu is only domestic. It has about 50 million subscribers in the U.S. Hmm. Around the world, shows like Pam and Tommy and The Old Man and The Bear, those live on Disney+. Plus. There's a service that Disney bought called Hotstar. And hmm. the star service or the star tab performs like Hulu around the world, but it's incorporated into Disney+. Plus. So I think that that's what they're going to do in the U.S. with Hulu. And by, by the way, by adult-oriented programming, you mean things like Old Man or The Bear, right? Yeah, not so porn. They, not porn. No, no, that's not, that's, <laughs> that's not what I was asking. I was just trying to like, were you talking about like reality television or were you yeah, talking I mean, about it, like it, premium drama It could drama include reality. Stuff? Yeah, it's, right, what, okay. what it means to Iger is it means non-branded, non-family, like not Moana and not, uh-huh. you know, Andor. Like they do Star Wars stuff and they do Marvel stuff on Disney Plus. And then they do this other category of content on Hulu, which is all the shows from FX and shows like Only Murders in the Building, things like that that are Hulu specific shows that do those fit in with the Disney brand? Not really, but they have expanded this brand. You know, Disney owns ABC and there are shows on ABC that would not be typical Disney style shows. And they have said that they are, at least for now, keeping ABC. They're not going to sell that. And they're not going to sell ESPN, at least not for now, they've said. And yet there's this question about Hulu. So I don't know. I just don't think that Iger wants to be a seller right now. Uh-huh. Plus, anyone who buys Hulu would want the content. Because what is Hulu? It's essentially a distribution shell. It's a platform that they right. sell a bunch of shows and movies on. And Disney owns a lot of that content on Hulu. So anyone who buys the service would probably want some kind of agreement that all the content would be there for three, five, seven years. Mm-hmm. And you know that's pretty onerous if you want to give that up. Now, Disney may want the cash. Who knows? They may have, they have other things. They have debt. Uh, they have other things they may want to spend on. Uh, but I, I, I ultimately think that Iger will keep it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a great time to sell any asset like that. What is the relationship, though, and is there tension there between Disney and NBCU? Like, if it's a 
share? Like who decides what content gets made and goes on the platform? Disney controls it. So the way, I mean, Hulu was started by all the studios back in, I believe, 2010. I think it was like 2007, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it might have been earlier than that. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. You think you're right. And it was essentially their answer to Netflix, you know, someplace to put mm-hmm. the shows on streaming after they aired on linear TV. And slowly by slow, you know, the, the, each of the partners was bought out. And then when Disney bought Fox in 2019, Disney assumed control of Hulu. Comcast, uh-huh. which is NBC Universal, they still maintain this third stake, but they don't control it. And in fact, Comcast last year took all of the NBC, Bravo, all the NBC Universal content, the Universal movies, and took it off Hulu and put that onto Peacock, which is their service. And Mm -hmm. Peacock has really struggled. Peacock is at only about 20 million subscribers, and that's actually up from where it was. But the speculation would be that if Comcast were to buy Hulu, it would just combine it with Peacock and grow that service. Um, The issue for them is that Peacock is also only in the US. So it doesn't solve the global problem for Comcast. Hmm. All right. Matt, thanks so much for your insights about Hollywood as always. And everyone listening to the powers that be, make sure you also smash that subscribe button to the town Matt's podcast on the ring. Smash it. We love the ring. Smash it hard. The town. Smash it. I'm just trying to throw, get like lend you some Gen Z lingo. That's good. Um, we need some younger. Old, view, we need some younger. As an old millennial, <laughs> so do we. Uh, a lot of. I don't think Gen Z gets the David Halberstam reference uh, over here. <laughs> Matt, thanks a lot, man. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.